Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hey, this is Lisa, and I have a new guest and a returning guest here today. My returning guest is Michael Cross, who you've heard on the BVS episode and the Superman 2 episode, the Donner versus the Lester cut. Uh, say hi, Michael. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm glad to have you back. Uh, so so Dan is our new guest. I uh, haven't had him on here. Uh, Dan Madsen, otherwise known as DFW Batman and Bat Dan. Uh, say hi, Dan. Hey, folks. How you doing? Hey. Well, Dan, since you're our new guest, um, why don't you go ahead and introduce the, the movie we're going to talk about and then tell us a little bit about yourself as well. I'm excited to announce we will be talking about uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, The Dark Knight, one of my favorite superhero movies. I, I, I would say this is my favorite superhero movie, definitely. Awesome. I, I think it's mine, too, actually. What about you, Michael? Uh, it, it's it's way, way up there, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, Dan, uh, tell us a little bit about your connection with Batman. Uh, yeah, I'm a business analyst by day, but I cosplay Batman. I've been doing that for about four years. I do a lot of uh, charity work. I work with uh, Make-A-Wish and uh, local charity, Heroic Inner Kids, I'm one of the founding members, and uh, still do some volunteer work with them. That's so awesome! And and you're the Batman that you cosplay. You said it's kind of a mix of the Dark Knight, but then like the cowl from Arkham Knight. Is that right? Now, the suit's made by a company in Canada called UD Replicas, and they do motorcycle suits. They do a Superman, a Batman, a few uh, other different ones. They actually, do three versions of Batman: Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and. Um, the new Batman versus uh, the new Justice League Batman. Uh, my my suit is the Dark Knight version, but I've got a, like you said an Arkham Origins cowl. That's so cool. I I love that cowl from Arkham Origins too. So, um, so at this part, I'm gonna go ahead and read the synopsis of the movie really quick, and then we'll kind of jump into some quick facts. Um, so here's the synopsis for The Dark Knight, in case somebody out there doesn't know the summary of it. <laughs> uh, with the help of Lieutenant Jim Gordon and D.A. Harvey Dent, Batman has been able to keep a tight lid on crime in Gotham City. But when a vile young criminal calling himself the Joker suddenly throws a town into chaos, the Cape Crusader begins to tread a fine line between heroism and vigilantism. End of synopsis. So that's it in a so nutshell. <laughs> I know. I know. Whenever I read summaries, people are like, 
kind of but yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about everything that happens obviously in this movie um just to kind of start us off with a couple quick facts and you guys can jump in if you have some too or just something to add um i had that in preparation for his role as the joker he ledger hid away in a motel room for six weeks during his um, extended stay of seclusion, Ledger delved deep into the psychology of the character. He devoted himself to developing the Joker's every tick, namely the voice and sadistic sounding laugh. Um, uh, for the voice, Ledger's goal was to create a tone that didn't echo the work of Jack Nicholson, uh, but you know stood apart from it a little bit. Uh, Ledger's interpretation of the Joker appearance was primarily based on the chaotic, disheveled look of punk rocker Sid Vicious, combined with the psychotic mannerisms of Malcolm McDowell's character, Alex DeLarge from A Clockwork Orange. What do you guys think of that? I, I never saw that uh, Alex DeLarge connection there, but now that you mention it, yes. What do you think, Dan? I think that pretty much nails it. I, I, I mean, I could see the clockwork orange character. Uh, in that, definitely. For sure. Um, did you guys know that this movie made more money than Batman Begins' entire domestic run in only six days of its release? Wow. Wow. Uh, uh, I know it was huge when it came out, and because it was just so good, um, it rose above being just a superhero film. It was just a fantastic movie. I totally agree. I mean, I, I was, uh, I think Dan and I were kind of chatting the other day on Messenger, like, you know, Batman Begins blew me away. I mean, I, I was, it way exceeded my expectations. I was super excited. Um, and we'll talk about him a little bit more in depth later. But when Christian Bale was cast, I was on board. But then this movie came out and it like blew that out of the water. I mean, it's almost like you forget how good Batman Begins was because this is just so, so good. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think just the anticipation, especially at the end of Batman Begins when we saw that Joker card, I know that made me like, <gasps> I was so excited. So that's um, probably why everyone rushed to the theater for sure. Um, this was actually the first comic book movie to reach the $1 million mark. Does that surprise you guys? It doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I it surprises me because I, I would have thought the first Superman film, but then I have to realize that I think I paid three dollars to see the first Superman film and fourteen dollars to see this one. So. <laughs> That's true, and inflation. <laughs> um, well, this comic book film uh, also has the most Academy Award nominations. There are eight. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's just something that is not really heard of, right? Oh, yeah, but, you know, and Heath Ledger picked up the Best Supporting Actor, right. I believe. Mm -hmm, he did. Uh, mm -hmm. So well-deserved, because his performance is just beyond amazing. I agree. Um, this movie, I don't know if we mentioned this yet, came out in 2008. Uh, so I'm going to kind of go around the table really quick and just get you guys' uh, first thoughts on it. Like, when you first saw the movie... Did you see it in theaters or on home release? I'm guessing you both saw it in the theater, right? So, Dan, you go first. Tell us about your experience, like, seeing this movie for the first time. Uh, yeah, I, I saw it in theaters. I was 40. That was uh, 10 years ago, so... Isn't that crazy? Uh, it's the 10-year anniversary. Already. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I just realized that. <laughs> wow. No worries. 
But, uh, you know, and I guess Batman Begins came out uh, in 2005, so this was three years later. And then there was a four-year gap between uh, The Dark Knight and um, The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that. In my brain, they all came out, like, right after each other. But you're right. There was, like, kind of a lot of anticipation in between the, the, the two movies. Yeah, nowadays, it's like you, you always have, like, a Marvel movie coming out uh, a couple times a year. So you don't really have that long of a wait. So, For sure. What about you, Michael? Uh, I saw it um, sneak preview Thursday night in the theater. Uh, I was real excited for it. I'm a huge Batman fan, have been since I was seven, and Adam West got me hooked. Uh, (laughs) Just amazing. (laughs) I was like, yes, I I can't wait for this. And so, yeah, showing up at midnight when I had to get up for work the next day, didn't matter. I was going to be there. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Um, If you haven't heard the previous episodes with Michael Cross, by the way, go back and listen to those. Um, Michael also cosplays Alfred. So I've actually got Batman and Alfred on here. And I cosplay Batgirl. So this is epically nerdy. (laughs) (laughs) We we really like these movies. (laughs) We've got the whole Bat family here. Exactly. We're we're super fans. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yeah, ain't nothing wrong with that for sure. Um So I'm going to go ahead and kind of start transitioning into another geeky part that I'm really excited to talk about. And that is Christopher Nolan, which by the, by the way, sorry, by the way, happy birthday, Christopher Nolan. He just had a birthday a couple days ago. I think he's 48. Is that right? Dan's age. I'm 50. (laughs) Got a couple years on. Um, I'm going to, yeah, I think, I think so. Let me, let me look it up really fast while we're talking about it, but we have tackled Christopher Nolan a lot on this podcast. I I think at least one other time. And when we're not actually talking about one of his movies, yep, he's 48. That sounds so young to me, (laughs) like for as much as he's accomplished, but, um, we talked about, uh, Inception was another episode we did really great episode, um, and I'm sure we will talk about him many more times, but he's one of my favorite directors. Um, and he was even really, even before he started the Batman franchise. What, what about you guys? Oh yeah. The prestige is one of my absolute favorite films again with Christopher Bale and Michael Caine. Yeah. Uh, that's why I was, when Batman begins came out, it's like, Oh, he's working with these two guys again. And Michael Caine is one of my absolute favorites. Even before he was Alfred, he was one of my favorites. Yeah, and you have Memento also, which is a, a really great movie. But but Prestige is one of my favorites also. I just love movies about ma- uh, magic, and it had Hugh Jackman in it. It's really great. Yeah, I, no, no, I, I love the Prestige. Uh, Memento, I saw in theaters, um, like, on a date. Like, my date just went, hey, let's check out this movie. And I was like, okay. And we did, and I became an instant fan from that movie on. So when I heard that Nolan was working on a Batman movie on the first one, and then when I heard that he was going to cast Christian Bale, who I was a really big fan of, from The Machinist and um, American Psycho and, you know, his other movies, I, I was like, that is like the perfect guy to play Batman. Like I was very excited about it. Um, let's see. I have a couple facts too about Nolan. It probably won't surprise you. I want to list his top 10 favorite movies for you guys. Um, it's 2001, a space odyssey, 
The Black Hole, Blade Runner, Chinatown, The Hitcher, Lawrence of Arabia, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Star Wars uh, A New Hope, The Man Who Would Be King, um, and t Top Copy. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Top Copy? <laughs> 1964. I'm not sure if I'm saying that one right. But also, as well as anything Stanley Kubrick. Um, I am not surprised to hear those are his favorite films and that Stanley Kubrick and Ridley Scott are his primary influences. What do you guys think? Um, yeah, I, I can see the Kubrick very, very easily, mm -hmm. uh, especially having just watched Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to tell a story primarily visually, which is very much what Kubrick did in 2001. Exactly. Um, you can see that influence really easy. What about you, Dan? I, I, I mean, I do like, I mean, that's the first time hearing that list, and I, I, he's a, it sounds like he's a, a sci-fi nerd like we are. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 love, I love Disney's The Black Hole. That's like one of my favorite. Really? Because I, I, I was going, I'm going to forgive him for liking The Black Hole because <laughs> I, I thought it was horrid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm also not surprised at this list. And it's kind of funny. Um, it seems like, you know, our movie group, the Facebook group, and just kind of like the fans that attract each other, it seems like there's a theme of like, you know, being really into Christopher Nolan, Stanley Kubrick, Ridley Scott, like there's like a few directors that we're all kind of into. And I think they really do have what you're touching on in common, Michael, just the visual aspect, you know, sci-fi, like you said, Dan, and just being such an incredible storyteller. He kind of gives you like a little bit of everything. I was watching some behind the scenes uh, talking about Christopher Nolan's movies, and I'll share some of those links um, in the show notes. But Basically, you know, he gives you everything because not only does he tell these like sort of dark psychological thriller stories, but then they're also visually very captivating. And that's something like you said, Michael, especially Stanley Kubrick was, you know, a master at. And I think Christopher Nolan's he's up there. Um, he's been nominated five times. But, you Which know, is what? A shame. I can't remember what won best picture this year. <laughs> Yeah, was it? Um, I can't remember either. I'll 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 think of it. Um, but kind of moving on a little bit, um, and just talking about some some facts about uh, you know Christopher Nolan as a director for this movie. The Dark Knight features six sequences, a total of twenty eight minutes shot using IMAX. According to the film's press notes, this was the first time ever that a major film had been pa partially shot using IMAX cameras. And I was wow. watch yeah, I was watching that in the behind the scenes. I mean, I think we forget because I feel like everything is shot in IMAX now. But um, back when he was shooting this movie, you know, those cameras are huge. They're really heavy. And if you watch some of the behind the scenes, they talked about concerns with like just, you know, they had shot like, you know, penguins walking across the snow. But that's pretty different from somebody riding a motorcycle or an action sequence, right? So... This was like a, a pretty big, you know, new territory that they were they were going down. There there had been movies shown in IMAX before, but I think this was the first one that had that many shots in it. So and I, I think you can cool. see it, especially in some of the big big shots, like uh, the truck turning over. Mm -hmm. And so it's got that wonderful scope to it. 
Um, yeah, totally. And and we'll talk about um, some of like the specific shots because I'm really excited to. Um, but but you know, in seeing this movie, especially going back and watching it, you can just see the way that it impacts his later films too. Like I felt like I saw a lot of Inception in this movie when I saw it the second time. You know, there's a scene in Inception with the train. And uh, that's a real train, or at least they built it, and it cra- it's not CG. And in this movie, there was that scene with the bus, like, busting through a wall. And it kind of echoed that for me, and they did use a real bus for that. So I, I just kind of saw, like, hints of, like, what would later be in some of his other films, if that makes sense. Absolutely. He, he very much likes to do the practical when he can. Mm-hmm. Uh, to shoot something real rather than CGI it. Yeah. And it, it shows... He's also a director that has a very distinct visual style. You can, you know, a movie you've never seen, pop it on and you get... This looks like Christopher Nolan. It definitely... looks like Christopher Nolan. It's got the same thing with Kubrick. You see one of his films and it's like instantly, this is Kubrick. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, the color palette, the tone, the sound, everything about it, for sure. Uh-huh. Um, so let's talk a little bit about about uh, Batman and how Christopher Nolan kind of came up with the idea for how he was going to portray Batman. Because I know there's a few influences, definitely, in the comics. But I, I saw behind the scenes where they mentioned that he looked to Teddy Roosevelt. Do, have you guys heard about this? No. Yeah, that, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, the connection... Uh, that he had with deep family tragedy. His mother and his wife died on the same day, and he kind of retreated to the Dakota Badlands uh, for a while, they think maybe to die, and then he came back and became a police commissioner and then just started on this path that led to, like, how we see Roosevelt now. And also his father was a really big philanthropist in the city, so there's kind of some parallels there, and he felt like he drew a lot on, on that. And you can kind of see that in the movie. Very cool. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Christian Bale himself. Um, you know, you may remember him from, he's been in so many movies now, um, American Psycho, Equilibrium, The Prestige, as you mentioned earlier, Michael, The Fighter, and The Big Short. I definitely see like what Christopher Nolan saw in him from watching specifically American Psycho and Equilibrium. I feel like both those movies kind of influence his performance in this one, or at least you can kind of see the beginnings of it. What do you guys think? How, how did you feel about that casting? I, I had seen him in a few, few things, and I thought, this guy's good. He's very good. There were the, even the that dragon film he did, I can't think of the name of uh, he did a really good job in the one with Woody Harrelson. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name of it, though. He was also in Newsies, by the way. <laughs> I yeah. loved Newsies growing up. And, and He's also in uh, Henry V. He is? It's a, a very young boy during the uh, the great locker room speech. You know, oh, gotcha. Few, proud, many. He was one of the kids right down front. And he was um, in Empire of the Sun as like a little, little child. Uh-huh. Uh, what were you going to say, Dan? Uh, he was hilarious in American Hustle. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, I forgot but, that. Yeah, to, to be honest, though, it, back in 2008 when I first saw this movie, um, I had no real real clue who Chris, Christian Bale was. It, I, I had just seen American Psycho maybe a month ago. 
<laughs> but it, it, it's good to see, um, you know, his other work. But, um, you know, when I saw him as Batman, I just, you know, really thought he was an awesome Batman. I mean, I do like the Michael Keaton Batman also. And the, the um, um, Tim Burton movies, you know, the. the oh, yeah. The, the, that's that's what, you know, got me kind of into superheroes, those movies. Me too. Right. And then, you know, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk about the campiness, how, you know, after the Burton movies, you had Batman forever. And, and, but, but that was all we had back then. So, I mean, I was happy for any Batman movie to come out. Yeah. But when, when the, uh, the Nolan trilogy came out, that kind of, uh, to me, it just gave a seriousness to Batman. For sure. I think it elevated the entire genre. For sure. Yeah. It, it definitely set a precedent for superhero films going forward. I mean, it made the, it made people realize that they could be serious blockbusters. I mean, you know, of course, uh, there were serious blockbusters before, like with Superman and Batman, uh, 1989. But this one was like a different tone. Like they could also be really artistic and dark. And, you know, I, I loved that. I was really into it. This movie feels so grounded. Uh, and I love that about it. Um, you know, with Batman Begins in 2005, Christian, Christian Bale was the youngest person to play Batman ever on film. Uh, he also was the seventh actor to play Batman and, you know, Bruce Wayne. Um, he's the first non-American actor to be Batman. Uh, let me ask you guys this, because Christian Bale used to do some of his um, interviews with the same, like, um, standard American accent. Were you guys surprised when you found out he was British? And also, when did you find out? I knew he was British from before. Okay. <laughs> How about you, Dan? And did you know that? <laughs> I, I did not know at all. I'm, I'm looking at IMDb right now, and it says <laughs> that he was born in <laughs> Wales. Well, yeah, so so when he, when this movie first came out, I think, like, if you if you look a little bit into, like, sort of his career... There was a time that it really was not working out very well. And I think really what saved him was doing The Machinist and doing American Psycho. And then from there he started to pick up. But I mean, Batman is such a huge role, such an iconic, can't get it wrong role. And I think being like the first British person to ever and non-American to be Batman, I think he felt pressured to kind of not rock the boat. And so when he would do interviews, he would do them as though he was American. So for like a while, I, I didn't I didn't realize he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so funny but um but yeah so i i really he's actually my favorite i don't know I, I waffle guys when it comes to my bruce waynes um i think maybe kevin conroy might be my favorite <laughs> just from the the batman animated series but definitely on film it's it's like it's hard to choose but for me i think christian bale just because i love these movies so much and i like the seriousness and the darkness that he brings to bruce wayne and I kind of I want to see that in the in Batman uh, in how it's portrayed. And so I think for me he might be my favorite. But don't quote me on that because sometimes I waffle. What about you guys? Uh, this universe, this Batman universe in the trilogy, is different than any other Batman universe. Um, it's it's more real. You use the word grounded, which I really liked. It's not comic booky right even though it's comic characters there's a very realism to what's going on here uh there's no space aliens there's no 
uh, Superman wouldn't fit in this universe. Either would Wonder Woman, for that matter. Because this is very much a real, real world that they're dealing in. And it's a very interesting choice that Nolan made. And, you know, in the next film, Catwoman is never called Catwoman. Right. She is a cat burglar. She wears a, a black... The, the eye goggles kind of look like cat ears, but not really. Um, it's it's a, just a whole different universe. I love Bale in this, but I also like the more comic book rooted Burton films. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Heath Ledger. Uh, you know, he was uh, made famous from Brokeback Mountain, A Knight's Tale, and Ten Things I Hate About You. Uh, he was also the first non-American actor to portray the Joker and the youngest. Uh, so we got a theme going here. Um, you know, I'm saying young, especially as opposed to like Jack Nicholson or Cesar Romero. Um, in an interview shortly before his death, he stated his favorite role so far in his career was this role. Um, he did receive an Oscar nomination for The Dark Knight, and, um, and that was on the anniversary of his death. And I think he, he won, too. He did. Yeah, he got an honorary award. Uh, what, what do you guys think about Heath Ledger? Like, how did you feel about his casting when you first heard that, and how, how did you feel about his performance? Uh, Michael, you go first. Um, I, I was thrilled when I heard him cast because he was one of my favorite actors. Uh, A Knight's Tale is one of my favorite films. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I love that film. Um, the, and more for the guy who plays Chaucer than anything else. <laughs> um, Paul Bettany. But uh, I was thrilled that he was going to play this. And then to see the performance, and again, the realism of it. You know, Yes, obviously he's wearing makeup because being bleached doesn't work in this universe. Sure. And that character he built was just so creepy and mesmerizing. And uh, it, it's like Hannibal Lecter. It's like, this is a monster, but you can't take your eyes off him. He's incredible. And mm -hmm. that voice he came up with, it, why so serious? And that tongue thing that he did through it. Oh, just yeah, amazing. Totally. What about you, Dan? Um, the, the first exposure I had to Heath Ledger was uh, The Patriot. Uh, oh, I, I, I like that movie. I remember that. Yeah. I really like that movie. Uh, uh, and then I saw him in Knight's Tale. But if you wouldn't have told me that he was the Joker in The Dark Knight, I, seeing him as the Joker, I never would have thought that was Heath Ledger. Mm -hmm. Just because I've, I, I had never seen him in a, you know, a, a darker role. Right. Before this, you know, he was a heartthrob and that's how people saw him. And in fact, a lot of people had a pretty negative reaction to him being cast. You know, they were like, this guy, who's this guy? He's young. He's, you know, it's almost like saying, I don't know, like Zac Efron's going to be the Joker or something. Um, it's just not what people wanted to hear. But I remember when I heard he was cast, I thought, well, we got to wait to see his performance. I mean, you know, you can look at somebody and get an idea, I guess, of what they're like and, and some of their work. But sometimes people get typecast. I mean, think about Matthew McConaughey before he started doing, you know, darker roles. He was also in a lot of, you know, silly romantic comedies and things. So y people had this idea about who he was and then he kind of, you know, he he did a more serious role and it brings something different to it. I agree with you, Michael. I really liked A Knight's Tale a lot. Um, I also liked, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. I think I was, like, 
around the market age when that came out. <laughs> so I liked that movie. Um, and I also, uh, I liked The Patriot. I, I had read a long time ago, because I just liked the Patriot movie and I was reading about it, um, that when he auditioned to be in that movie, uh, he got halfway through his audition and went, you know what, guys, I'm doing really bad. I'm just going to go. Like he just, in the middle of his audition, <laughs> kind of broke down and said, just forget it. I'm, wow. This is terrible. And he tried to leave and they were like, no, 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 come back. And they were like, no, we, we want you. Like, this is, we're going to give you this role. Like, we already want to give this to you. And he was really surprised by that and I think he you know there's just so much pressure to play the Joker I mean it's such an iconic role but I think he was very humble and maybe even like a little bit insecure about not realizing how much talent he actually had and also you know people's expectations being you know thinking that maybe he couldn't do it but I just always thought that was interesting after I learned that especially after he played the Joker well it the oh, performance he turned in in Brokeback Mountain was nothing shy of amazing also. Oh, sure. He, he obviously had the chops. I mean, you know, back then I really wasn't following actors like I do now. So it's sure. like, I mean, I, I did know the name from from The Patriot, but that was about it. Yeah. But, but one thing I like about his character, though, in the movie, um, you don't really get a, a Joker origin in there at all. I mean, he, he, he kind of... Uh, talks about four different, <laughs> not origins, but four different stories on how he became the way he is, which is really quite humorous. Uh, oh, where I got these scars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I kind of echoed um, the killing joke a little bit where, you know, in the killing joke, you kind of learn his origin, but then doesn't he later say he it's multiple choice? And that, you know, I re sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes I remember it another. Yeah. Which was great for the Joker because that's the, you know, the whole thing is that no one knows who the Joker is or where he comes from or anything about him. I mean, in the Batman comics, he has always been the mystery. Who mm -hmm. is this guy? And it kind of disappointed me in the first Burton Batman film when it's like, no, he's not Jack Napier. He didn't yeah. shoot his parents. It, this guy is a complete mystery. No one knows who he is, and I really liked that they kept that. Yeah, I think I've liked all the all the actors that have portrayed the Joker. You know, I I like Cesar Romero's performance a lot. I like Jack Nicholson's a lot. Um, Heath Ledger did something kind of different. I mean, I've even heard people say, you know, it's not really the Joker. It's not faithful to the comic. Whatever. My point is, it was amazing, and I liked what he did with the character. And I, I mean, it's, it's hard to surpass or compete with it. Um, uh -huh. I've even heard people say things like, oh, well, if, you know, if he hadn't died, he wouldn't have got that Oscar. And honestly, I disagree with that. I think that his performance, I mean, he stole the show, which I think a good Joker should do that. I think, you know, Jack Nicholson did that in Batman 1989, right? He stole the oh. show in that movie and, and the Joker does that in this movie. I mean, that's why he's everyone's favorite Batman villain. Um, because he is like as captivating and exciting. He's, he's worthy. And I think his performance in this movie, um, just like the rest of it, it's very grounded and very real. And just, you know, it, it's hard to take your eyes off him. The quotes, the scenes, you know, just trying to keep up with what he does next. I think he absolutely earned that Oscar for me. Oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. I agree. So let's kind of dive into the plot a little bit. And Dan, I'll kind of let you go first. You can either go chronologically if you want, 
or you can just pick out some of your favorite scenes, like whatever you want to do. Uh, I think we'll start chronologically because the Good. opening of this movie <laughs> just like totally sucks you in. Yes, it is when epic. You- when you when you've got these clowns doing this bank heist and you don't know i mean you can you can tell through the whole thing that certain people were told certain things and uh just the way it unfolds is just amazing and how you know uh heath ledger is revealed you know near the end is just a uh, very well filmed and uh great story oh man yeah, this is where you can see those IMAX cameras at work, right? I mean, just from that opening shot, the way it zooms in on that building. Um, I love the buildup of the the different guys in the mask talking and theorizing on who the Joker is and what he's like. And um, I, I love that about the way the Joker's portrayed in this movie as sort of, I mean kind of like in Batman Begins, they talk about Batman being more than a man, you know, being an idea. And the Joker mirrors that in that, like, he's so big, he's larger than life. And so people talk about him in the same way that they talk about Batman, you know, and I I really like that about the opening scene. And then, um, you know, that, like you mentioned earlier, um, towards the end of the scene, you know, that mask guy's, you think he's going to shoot him he says you know what i was told the same thing um i was supposed to get rid of you and he's like oh i wasn't told that i was told to get rid of the bus driver or to wait for the bus driver or something and he's like what bus driver and then that bus blasts through the wall and it's like you know the, the stakes in that scene are rising throughout i mean the music and the visuals it's just getting bigger and bigger with those you know from the beginning where they're um you know, gliding from building to building, which was real, by the way. Um, and just to that epic finish with the with the bus. Um, it's like, I, I don't know. It's like, it's hard to top that opening scene. It's just so, so incredible. I loved it. And the very first time you see Heath Ledger, he's just standing on the curb with his mask off, waiting for his ride. Yes. I'm like, you know, if they would have pulled coming from the other direction, they would have seen it was the Joker. Right, right. And uh, again, very little dialogue to start off the film. Mm-hmm. Just the scenes of you know these people setting up and being ready to do this, and you know it's a heist. You don't really know what's going on, but it, you're drawn in immediately. Um, it's it's just fantastic. I think what I like about this trilogy, especially the first two movies, is that Nolan kind of to keep it grounded, focused on you know, this connection with, like, the mob, you know, and heists and things like you guys are saying. Um, I don't know. I feel like Batman stories are always at their best when they're kind of centered around that because that's sort of his origin, you know, in the comics. Uh, He started out as more of a detective. So whenever you get to see him play off of villains like that, um, you know, not only does it feel more real, but it's just, like, my favorite. So I love that it's a heist. And then... You know, like I said, I like all of them discussing who the Joker might be and then when he takes his mask off. I mean, it's just such a big payoff. Also love the guy that he shoots that's like, he mentions something about, like, this town used to have rules. And, Uh yeah, I I really like that because, you know, the town was run by the mob and then somebody comes along and he's bigger than the mob. I just, I just love that. And it was a mob bank. Oh, that's right. That's right. This yeah. guy works for the mob. It was like, you know, no, there used to be this like 
he's taking do you know whose bank you're robbing that's right uh, yeah just great great scene and yeah. just sets the whole tone for the film it does it really you know these movies especially the first two you know, they're, they're pretty much just in Gotham. I was watching like a behind the scenes where they're talking about it's not on a global scale, right? You know, in a lot of superhero movies, they're saving the world, but Batman's saving Gotham. And you have to find a way to make that so compelling and so real. And I actually think when you make stories like this smaller, they are more compelling because they feel more personal. And this whole movie feels very personal. I mean, from that first scene where that guy's like, do you know whose bank this is, etc. I mean, I think it makes the whole plot feel very tight and 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 personal. <laughs> I agree. And and real. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe I'm prejudiced, but I, I I love the scene much later in the film. I'm going to jump all over like I always do. That's fine. Uh, with uh, Alfred, Michael Caine is Alfred talking about them trying to capture this one guy mm-hmm. who the only way they captured him was burn down the forest. It's like, some men just want to watch the world burn. Um, just that whole storytelling was just fantastic and related to the Joker. It's like, no, this guy doesn't really want anything. And you see later the money doesn't matter to him. He sets it on fire. Mm-hmm. It's just the chaos that he wants to collect in that story by Alfred just brings that out so nicely. Yeah, number one, Michael Caine, I think he's the only actor that's been in, like, six of Christopher Nolan's movies. Like, he's in, like, all of them. Um, But he, his performance as Alfred, I love. I feel like all he has to do is start doing, like, a lower lip tremble and I start crying. I'm like, (laughs) he's just, he brings so much heart to that character. I mean, you really feel that sort of father-son connection between him and Bruce and... I, I think it comes across very honest and earnest the way he's he, he wants to help Bruce and he's dedicated to that. But he's also there's a part of him that wants him to step away from being Batman, which every Alfred wants that every incarnation of Alfred wants that. Um, but, yeah, that scene you're talking about um, him letting him like describing that Joker wants to just watch the world burn. That's a big story arc for Batman in this movie. He starts off, you know, he's very dedicated to these set of rules and they work for him. And then he's got all these strengths, which are his discipline, his his cash that, you know, enables him to be Batman and have all these gadgets. And then here comes the Joker who just turns every strength that Batman has into a weakness. And I think when I was watching the behind the scenes, they were saying that's, you know, that's what makes a really good villain is someone who can take all the strengths that a hero has and use them against him. Like, what's he going to do now? He has to switch gears and not do that. And in the story, Batman has to learn that lesson of he can't just use, you know, fear and intimidation to win this time. And he's got to, he's got to evolve and, and grow from that. Uh, what do you think, Dan, about that scene? Uh, the, the scene with, uh, Alfred and, uh, yeah, uh, the one with uh, Alfred and, and Batman, and he's kind of just, he, he's getting uh, Bruce to see that that uh, the Joker can't just be bought or, you know, intimidated. He's he's chaos. He's, he's bigger than that. Yeah, I think throughout the whole movie, you see how unpredictable the Joker is, but it's, but he has a plan. It's, it's like you, you kind of see his plan unfold as, as the movie 
uh, goes on, like um, where, where he was um, had the face off with Batman on his bat cycle. I love that and, and scene. <laughs> that, that scene kind of reminded me of the um, Tim Burton with Jack Nicholson with yeah. pulling out his big gun and uh, the, the big standoff in the in the street with Batman and Joker. And you know, Batman's well in this movie, Batman's like shooting straight at him with his motor motorcycle, and then can't run into him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is one rule. Right. And then we find out later that it was his whole plan to be caught. And um, you find out, you know, as he's in jail, he, I mean, he has a plan the entire, the entire movie. There's some plan and you see it unfold and it's just amazing. Which makes the line, do I look like a guy with a plan? Even better. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, he's obviously, you know, he's got the guy... The other guy with the bomb inside him set inside the jail, he is all ready for this completely. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a parallel in this movie that I I didn't see before, but I was watching a YouTube video. I need need to credit it. Um, I thought I I might have said, oh yeah, it's called The Dark Knight Creating the Ultimate Antagonist. It's by Lessons from the Screenplay. And they pointed out that the Joker in this movie is very similar to Kevin Spacey's character in Seven, and there's a lot of there's there's a few parallels. Um, one of which is you know leaving all these clues and you know sort of setting you know always being one step ahead of the cops or in this case Batman. But even the getting caught thing is in Seven, where Kevin Spacey gets caught, and that's actually what he wants, which. You know, in a way, I guess it's like art imitating art imitating art in that, like, the Joker always seems to want to get caught <laughs> in a lot of his stories, and that somehow gives him an even bigger upper hand. But I just thought that was interesting. I was like, I, I do see that influence from that movie a little bit in this film. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny, though, because he, uh, you know, in certain situations, like when he's being interrogated by Batman, he, he brings up, you know, he talks about well i'm like a dog catching a car i don't know what i would do with it if i caught it (laughs) yeah yeah uh, his motivation is you know basically just to drive batman crazy cause chaos you know that that's about it there's not a whole lot going on with this plan um i i think that that's what makes him such a you know an interesting villain because batman is so calculating and so focused and so you know he's got clear motivations and the joker just doesn't but i think it kind of mirrors a little bit uh they were talking about in in the behind the scenes as well like you know some there's some parallels there to some actual you know serial killers that would leave clues or you know their main motivation seems to be just getting attention and you know sort of being caught in their delusion but not having a clear logical uh, motivation, you know? Well, back to the killing joke, it's the whole idea that obviously something horrible has happened to the Joker, the scars, the stuff, and that's why he is the way he is. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what that is because he tells so many different stories about it, but Mm -hmm. to do that to someone else seems to be part of his motivation to drive Harvey Dent off the brink. Um, Batman, he can't. It's like, no matter what he does, Batman remains Batman, but that's the immovable force and the unstoppable object beating 
when they talk about that. But it's to and make the people in the boats blow up the other boat. That sort of chaos. If you put someone in the right situation, they will crack. And the citizens of Gotham proved him wrong. But Yeah, he wants that. And he wants, I think, you know, the attention, you know, that's uh, to intimidate people, but also make them focus on him, you know, to be as to be important a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. Um, what's oh, I, go ahead. Well, I, I think he also realizes, um, you know, at, at first he was wanting to act, to unmask Batman, but then later on he realized that he didn't want that to happen. You know, he talked about um, when he was in the interrogation room, he's like, uh, I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Um, and he, you know, uh, go back ripping off mob dealers. No, you bleep me. Yeah, it's kind of like he realized after a while that he pretty much can manipulate people the way he wants. He can get people to turn and break. So his ultimate desire, I guess, is someone that he can't do that to (laughs) just so he can keep, uh, you know, getting the spotlight and having him stop him and replaying that over and over. Um, And Batman and the Joker have always been two sides of the same coin. Sure, yeah. Uh, Very much reflections of each other in in completely different goals and ways and that's a great batman dynamic that they put in this movie that's wonderful right right you know on some level you're like okay the joker's nuts but isn't batman to some extent or bruce wayne and like you know uh when we talk a little bit about uh two-face um you know, Batman's got this duality to his nature. He's got to balance both Bruce Wayne and Batman and, you know, which one is really him. And then you've got like Two-Face who his duality is right there on his face. And then, you know, like the Joker who has completely given in to his alter ego, you know, so you've kind of got, like you said, some, some mirroring there with, with Batman and his villains. There's always like a deep connection with his villains where he should almost be one of them or in Arkham with them. And that comes up a lot in the comics, too. Um, so what's another scene that you guys want to talk about? Uh, Dan, you go next. Uh, I'll start off by saying, tonight you'll all be a part of a social experiment. <laughs> the uh, yes. the uh, scene with the two boats, you know, the first time I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, you have no clue what's going to happen. You have a boat full of criminals and a, a boat of citizens and they each have a trigger to blow each other up and they're forced to make a decision right and we've seen a hospital blow up at this point right i mean we've seen so much happen um basically the joker winning the whole movie so you like you said you really don't know what's going to happen in that moment um christopher nolan is amazing at building tension the highlight of that whole scene for me is right towards the end. Yeah. When the, the, the big horrible thug guy goes, you know, give it to me and let me do what you should have done, you know, 20 minutes ago. And he throws it out the window and it's a redemption. It's a, the boat full of, you know, supposedly our, our good people just can't quite do it. They, they vote to, but no one can actually turn it. This guy is like, no, there's just no way in the world we would ever do that. Mm -hmm. We may be criminals, but that's just beyond. 
I love the guy too that um, goes on that little speech about how they deserve to live and the other guys are all prisoners and they deserve to die and then he himself can't do it either. Right. He just sits back down. I mean, doesn't that sound like <laughs> almost like someone on the internet like, well, I think this needs to happen. But then when you're really there in the moment and you have to make a decision and, you, and someone else's life is in your hands, I mean, you know, what would you do, right? And they decide to do the right thing and... uh you know, the Joker tells Batman, like, you know, wait for it, or you don't want to miss the fireworks. And he says, they're not coming. Because, you know, people aren't like how he thinks they he can't just manipulate them into making bad choices whenever he wants. There's there's hope for the city, basically. Right, because Batman believes in Gotham. Mm -hmm. And the Joker is truly surprised when it doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, he's like, very disappointed. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. Well, if, if I can rewind a little bit, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Rachel's character. Um, you know, in the first movie, it was uh, Holmes, Katie Holmes. And in this one, it's Maggie Gyllenhaal, who, you know, is, she's in a lot of movies. But um, the main ones I remember, like Crazy Heart and Donnie Darko was, I think, the first time I saw her, where she plays Jake Gyllenhaal's brother <laughs> or sister <laughs> in that movie. So... Um, I personally appreciated this chain. Um, I, I think she married Tom Cruise in yeah. between. Yeah, and then he yeah. was like, you're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't have a problem with uh, Katie Holmes' performance in the first movie. Um, I think she did a good job. But I actually like Maggie's portrayal a little more. And it that could be a little unfair because she has more to do in this movie and she's a little older and a little wiser um, than her character was in the first one. She was like brand new in that movie, a rookie. And now she's kind of grown into yeah. herself. Just a better actress. But yeah, I, I, that's what I'm dancing around. I think it's a better actress. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Dan? Um, yeah, I think she did an awesome job and I do like the, um, uh, the interactions with her and Bruce, um, especially how, you know, Bruce thinks that eventually she will come back to him. And there's this whole love triangle with Harvey Dent and Batman, you know, Bruce. And you just kind of wonder what's going to happen with that. And then there's that note that she writes that um, uh, Alfred gets a hold of. And Oh, and Alfred burning the note. Not a dry eye on the house. For real. You know, like, oh, I don't want to get too far into the movie, but that that line about like sometimes people, you know, don't deserve the truth; they deserve better. Um, yeah, that was really really moving. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Harvey Dent really quick. Uh, what did you guys think of of the casting in this one, uh, Aaron Eckhart? I think the only other thing I had seen him in was Thank You for Smoking, but which is a which great I film. loved. Man. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I really like Aaron Eckhart, and I thought he did a, a great job as Dent, and the makeup as Two Face and the CGI on that is so amazing. Agreed. And again, done much more real than Two Face had been portrayed before. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones version, or even the comic book version, it, it was there was a a reality to it that yeah, this could be the way it is. Yeah. I, I I, Go ahead. I love the I love the scene when he was uh, in the courtroom and the mobster pulls the gun out at him that doesn't fire and he just grabs it and takes it apart. 
<laughs> it just kind of shows his character. You know, he's he's not gonna he's not gonna stand down to the mobsters. He and he's... right after going, no, uh, we're gonna keep going with this case. I'm not yeah. stopping because this guy tried <laughs> to shoot me. Which we just wanted. <laughs> I would have been like, I'm done. <laughs> but yeah, like Aaron Eckhart, uh, the way he plays a character and the way the character's written. I mean, I think in the comics, Two Face usually. His origin is kind of like the Joker, right? Does it doesn't it involve like acid? <laughs> I feel uh, like there's a lot yeah. of acid in in, in it, the it's, earlier. It comics. very much echoes the uh, the scene where he pulls the gun on him, except he's in court and they he, the, the guy throws acid at him, and oh, he has a, okay. a file folder in his hand that he covers up half of his face with, oh. so only half of it gets burned by the acid. Oh, okay. I you know I don't think that I've read that. I think uh, in a lot of the comics with. Two-Face, he's already Two-Face, so I, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Well, I, I do like the way it happens in this movie, and I love the way that his character really, I mean, he really is basically Bruce Wayne. He's almost just like him, except that he's an attorney, and he doesn't have to wear a mask, like uh, Bruce points out, and I like that about it, and then, you know, he does have this other side to him that you, they don't really hint at until after he turns into Two-Face and he asks uh, Gary Oldman, um, Commissioner Gordon, you know, what did they used to call me? And then he admits that. And I like that about Two-Face because, I don't know, I just like the idea of this guy that you're rooting for, he's your friend, you want him to succeed, but he's always got this dark side. And I feel like, for him to turn into a villain and for that to be convincing, he's got to already kind of have that to him. This just pushed him over the edge, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, a, a Joker goal. Mm -hmm. Yep. He well, also has a very similar chin to Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if, if you remember that restaurant scene where uh, they cover up, you know, the top part of his face, if they oh, would have yeah. just turned, if they would have just turned slightly on, on Bruce, I think, Batman would have been, they would have known it was Batman. <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, and of course he ends up saying, yes, I'm the Batman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was surprising. You know, but he yeah. was doing that to protect Batman. For sure. I think the whole movie is surprising. Like, I I didn't necessarily see that coming when 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 that happened. I thought, you know, the Joker's backed him into a corner and I know he can't, I know because the movie's not over yet <laughs> that something like that's not going to happen next but i didn't know what was going to happen next and i, I love that part because that it, do you guys think that was part of joker's plan or do you think that that's one part in the movie where he's like he had to like shift gears i i think it was planned you do okay cool because he he's already with the truck and the you know the guns and everything well, that's to, true capture him when they he's got it all set so they have to go underneath the city where they can you know make them sitting ducks and so i think that was part of the joker's plan yeah that yeah he that knew makes dent sense. would do that yeah, or that maybe he thought dent was the batman that's true because he didn't necessarily know his identity yet and dent was basically i mean he he seemed very believable he's like the right build and the right age and he's not being shy about you know his support for the city so yeah i could see that too and he does admit that he thought harvey dent was batman the oh way that's he right jumped, jumped after rachel Mm-hmm. that's true out of the building yeah yeah i was just thinking about that thanks guys <laughs> 
Um, so what's another scene that y'all want to talk about? The film is filled with such great <laughs> action scenes that, uh, you know, don't lend themselves to great deep discussions. But uh, <laughs> that that truck flip is just one of the most exciting scenes ever put on film mm-hmm. and done real. Yes. They flipped a truck to do it. Um, just the the skyhook scene in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. or was it Hong Kong? Yeah, uh, just fantastic effects and just very exciting and wonderful visuals throughout this entire film. Yeah, I think it's rare when a director can do both parts of the story that are dark and and thought-provoking, but then also have really intense and satisfying action. And I do think a lot of it comes from, like you mentioned, Michael, the fact that it's practical effects. Like, whenever he can, he does them. Like, for instance, the bus scene that we talked about earlier. I think they had to, like, uh, make the bus, have it crash to the wall, and then reconstruct it again after it was through the wall. And they had to also add, like, a second wall it to come through like it was really intense you should watch the behind the scenes stuff i have yeah oh i I believe you (laughs) they had it on that rig that like propelled it you know and and that's what i was saying earlier a lot of that kind of stuff just reminded me of what we later see like in inception i have to think that he was already thinking about it then and i think he was yeah and practical effects just they look real right uh, i i always have said the problem with the star wars prequels was that it's all digital effects mm-hmm. and it doesn't look real and so you don't get as emotionally invested in it because it isn't real and right. this is everything that can be real is and it just draws you in and keeps you on the edge of your seat for sure um, let's see. Okay, I, I thought of another scene I wanted to discuss uh, towards the end of the movie. Uh, the scene where uh, both Harvey Dent and Rachel are in two separate locations, and the Joker says he can only save one of them. And, you know, this is the moment as the audience were wondering who he's going to save. He, of course, chooses Rachel, but then the Joker always, again, being one step ahead flips a script on Batman and he accidentally uh, opens the door to Dent and Dent screams, no, why me? You know, you should be there to save her. And that's when Rachel hears that and realizes what happened. And she's accepting of it in her last, you know, few moments. Uh, What did you guys think about that scene? Were you surprised by that? Or were you kind of anticipating that by this time the Joker is going to do something like that? I was I was caught flat-footed. I, I thought for sure he was going to come in to save Rachel. And that, you know, somehow Dent was going to survive and lose half his face. Uh, yeah. But, you know, that he would save Rachel. I, I didn't see her getting blown up. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, the same here. I wasn't expecting that at all. You know, when he said he was going to, to Rachel, that's that's where I thought he was going. But it, it does create, you know... A, a twist, you know, when stuff like that happens, it just makes the movie really interesting. Yeah. I, uh, you know, there, there's kind of a, a trope about like the wife or girlfriend getting killed and that motivating the main character. But the way that this movie 
played out and the way how important Rachel was in, in both films to Bruce. I mean, she made it through one movie, right? So I just expected her to make it through this one. Uh, so when that happened, I was really, really shocked. Um, but I thought it was the right choice. Like, I, I'm glad that it happened that way for the purpose of, of the story. And then that reveal of how, you know, Dent, you know, he gets that, he, he knocks his chair over and he lands in the, in the lighter fluid. And then even when Bruce saves him, he's on fire. And at first Bruce is like, what's happening to you? And then he realizes he's on fire and puts it out. And, and that just sends him over the edge. Um, and leads into my next favorite one of my other favorite scenes is the the hospital scene. Um, oh, yeah, so good. Uh, again, they they blew up a real building. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, that whole scene. Yeah, you know, do I look like a guy with a plan? And the him just playing on Harvey like a violin, mm-hmm. and just you know pushing him over the edge. Yeah. You, you know, put him, put him in the state he would be into where he goes out and does horrible things. Mm-hmm. That was definitely one of his goals, you know, just to take uh, Gotham's white knight and just turn him, turn him around. I thought that part was pretty cool. There's always like this level of um, responsibility with Bruce, you know, because he... He didn't save Rachel, and then he saves Harvey, but his face gets burned, and then in the hospital he gives him that coin, and then it's just like he, he plays such a big part unintentionally with, with him becoming Two-Face. Of course, it's the Joker's fault, <laughs> but he, he just feels so much responsibility, and um, that that scene with the hospital, I... You know, I think at this point in the movie, I was like, well, what more could happen? Like, you know, like after that big explosion, you're sort of reeling from losing Rachel. And then this scene happens. I thought that was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, You you know, now that I look back, I I don't remember seeing Harvey get out of the hospital. Do you? (laughs) Yeah, he he, Harvey. No, you never do see Harvey. get out. He he had plenty of time to get out, I think, you know, just the way the hospital blew up, but you know, I just thought about that later. I'm like, but the Joker had, had driven him to the point where he wanted to go out and get revenge. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that it was Gordon's cops who had set this all up. Right. Who had been, you know, pushed to do whatever they, you know, the things they did to get Rachel where she was and where she died. And, you know, the Joker could easily see that there's the back door there. Because you want to disappear. You don't want to be taken off with all the other people who have been evacuated from the hospital. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We kind of glossed over uh, Commissioner Gordon's death. <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh, Gary Oldman. I, I, I love him as an actor. Me too. We talk yeah, about what, him a what, lot on this show too. <laughs> one of my favorite movies that he was in was Book of Eli. I loved his character. In oh, that. we just did that episode last week. Oh man, I have to hear that. Yeah, he's such favorite. an incredible actor. He is, and it, it's so great. He finally got an Oscar just last year. By the mm-hmm. way, it was Shape of Water was the Best Picture this year. Oh, okay, okay, that's uh, right. Yeah, I don't know how yeah. I forgot that. It also, yeah, dawned on me. It's like, yes, I love this movie. Um, <laughs> but uh, Oldman, just the the casting of him as Gordon, yes, gives the film so much gravitas. It's like you've got Gary Oldman in this as. Commissioner Gordon, that's incredible. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the relationship between him and, and Batman is just so good. And, and it feels, again, like I keep saying, grounded. It feels real. And then in this movie, when they fake his death um, and just the impact it has on his family and everything, I mean, I really thought he was dead. And then they reveal that he's not. I was I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I, I, I was a little upset. It's like, you can't kill Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> that's just, no, no, that's just something you can't do. It's like, you'd be like killing Alfred. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was just so satisfying. Uh, well, you saved the mayor. Oh, the mayor, yeah, that's right, that's yeah. That's where he got shot and we thought he was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, and, and when he's back and his, his, uh, his family's so upset, I, I like the way they kind of keep dangling that idea of his family until that ending scene with Dent, um, where he's, uh, you know, he wants to exact revenge and, uh, make yeah. Gary Oldman tell him feel it's that gonna be okay. Tell him it's going to be okay. That's so dark. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, Oh, I just thought that was so good. You know, I, I in the Dark Knight Rises, does he die in that also? I, I know. I, I, I'm just I trying remember. to remember. Yeah, I I, sh- I didn't watch that one in preparation for this. <laughs> Me neither. But but I remember that he's uh, kind of underground uh, when when Bane takes over the city. That's right. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know if they thought he he died or something. I'll have to rewatch that. Yeah, me too. Do you remember Michael? As I recall, he is at Bruce's funeral in the end. Oh, okay, okay. Well, no, I mean, they think he's dead, but then he's really doing this under undercover. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, so he, he, he does it a second time. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought, but I, I have to rewatch that. I can't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> oh, no worries. Yeah, but like, oh, go ahead. Since we're pretty much there, the scene with his family, and Dan, you know, goes over the edge and dies... And the, the, the whole ending of the film, you know, the, the hero they deserve, him taking the rap for everything that Harvey did, because he can, because mm-hmm. he's Batman, because he's underground, no one knows who he is. I'll take that because we have to keep that Harvey's reputation alive to keep this city alive. Because mm-hmm. otherwise all of the mob people that got thrown in jail and everything, would all they'd all walk because Harvey's crazy. Right, yeah, it has a big impact, and and just also to give the city hope, right? Like, exactly you know, this they idea have to keep mm-hmm. their white knight, mm-hmm. and that ties into the next movie. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. right. I and I like the ending of this movie. I felt like it's so complete. Like this film, for being a sequel, and especially one that's part of a trilogy. Uh, it it feels like its own thing almost. You know, like I could have accepted this being. They're just being two, right? It, it just felt like such a neat wrapped up bow. I, I like the idea of, you know, the Joker not really being dead, and and then you know this ending with, uh, with Harvey Dent um, and the memory and Batman going into hiding. Like I don't know, I just really like the way that wrapped up. I think the film could stand completely by itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you wouldn't even right. have to see the first one. Yeah, right. At this point in time, Batman is such an iconic character. You don't really need an origin story. Right. And you could have just had this film by itself, and it would have been complete. Absolutely. Oh, one other scene I want to make sure we talk about, too, is uh, the scene... We already discussed it a little bit with the boats 
and then you know uh the two the two ships decide not to blow each other up and there's that confrontation between batman and the joker i really like that scene where the joker's dangling and the way they flip the camera and you know you 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 don't notice that it's happening and i think also visually it, it it makes you feel like the joker's in control because he seems like higher up even though he's he's being hung I just and that whole exchange between them is just so epic. Well, that he's right side up while being upside down. Yeah, yeah. And it it, it is very much the playing card image. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't think of that. That's you have true. You know, a, a Joker that's or a, like a Jack that is both ways on a playing card, which has been done with Batman many times in the comics and stuff, where they'll have them as two sides of the same card mm-hmm. uh, upside down. Such a really interesting imagery. Really nice. Definitely. Um, yeah. I, I, I really like that. Um, when he says we could keep doing this forever. Um, I felt like that was you, a really you won't kill me. And I think you're just too interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and it just, it's part of that Batman mythos, you know, like it extends beyond this movie and calling back to, to their conflict since the beginning. And I just, I really liked that about it. Well, guys, are there any other scenes that you want to make sure we discuss or any other facts or anything that you want to talk about? Yeah. You know, one thing that I, I uh, a few scenes that I really liked were the interactions between Batman and the mob. Mm-hmm. So like the first time you see Batman come in to, you, uh, the the mob is having a meeting and, and walks in. Yeah. And uh, this is you know the first time uh, he's come face to face with them, and he kind of, and they have the, um, the the Asian guy on the TV. But mm-hmm. uh, you know there there's that, and you know I mean there's that scene, and, and it kind of just shows you um, the Joker's plan in a way. You know he first gets in and introduces himself to the mob. And then tells him, hey, I can help you get rid of the Batman. I'm going to help you do this. And then later on, um, you find out his real plan is he wants to take over when he burns half of the money on that big you know, pile of money. But um, Yeah, you know, the way that the Joker's introduced with the, with the mob in this movie, it reminded me a lot of um, Under the Red Hood. Do you agree, Michael? Like... The fact yeah, that the Red yeah, Hood, yes. yeah, like he, he, he comes in and says, well, not, I guess not the bank scene, but the scene where he's like negotiating with the, uh, with the mobsters and saying like, he's their new boss and he's in charge. Like it, it kind of reminded me of that with Red Hood. And I wondered like either was Christopher Nolan and, and his, I think his brother helped him write the screenplay, but um, were they influenced, do you think, by that? Or is there a, or is it the other way around, where Red Hood's influenced by a plan the Joker had, and that's in the comics? Maybe you guys can speak to that. I don't know. I really don't know which one comes first. Yeah, but I just, I noticed that this time watching it. I was like, oh, that's kind of like how Red Hood came in and was like, I'm in charge now of everything. And then they have to, like, do what he says because he's so violent. And in this movie, the Joker does that. So, I don't know. Somebody out there knows. <laughs> they'll tell us I'm sure it'll be in the comments yeah yeah they'll be like you idiots you don't know this I'll be like, I'm sorry I'm sorry <laughs> can't read them all um, 
But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I like the way that he interacts with the mob. Love the tryout scene, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's where you get the why so serious. Yeah, yeah. Just everything he does in this movie, he just seems so so dangerous and, and truly frightening. You know, how do you make a guy that just... I mean, for the most part, like, his weapons are usually, like, a knife or... I mean, I guess bombs are really scary. Or a gun, but, like, how does that compare and compete with Batman? Like, they do such a good job of of making you feel like it does, you know? Yeah, I don't know where if I read it or, or heard it on, uh, on YouTube, but I, um, I heard... Um... When, when uh, the Joker came in uh, in the penthouse scene, mm-hmm. Michael Michael Caine was afraid of the Joker. <laughs> and when he walked in, he just kind of shuddered it when is he creepy. came out of the elevator. Yeah. I mean, everything about his performance visually and just the way he's acting and the fact that he kept himself so far away from the rest of the cast. I, I heard he was so frightened that he forgot his lines. <laughs> wow. I need, I need to look into that. That's crazy. Uh, Ledger's performance just can't be underestimated For due sure. to the success of this film. It's it, it was I remember walking out of the theater and it's like that's all I could think about was like how incredible he was as the Joker. Right. I mean, without him, this movie would not be any like as good. I mean, he kind of made the movie for sure. I mean, um, obviously not to take anything away from Christian Bale, but yeah, he's definitely the star of this one. Hey, we never talked about the soundtrack. I want to talk a little bit about that. How do you guys feel about, like, the score and just, you know, when I was watching the behind the scenes, they were talking about um, how they use, like, playing piano wire with razor blades and things like that. Have you heard about this? Yes, no. yes. <laughs> uh, but the score is fantastic, and it, it, it sets mood so well, uh, especially the, those opening scenes. It's just, like, puts you on edge mm-hmm. with the visuals and the, the lack of dialogue and everything. And just you're ready to be creeped out. Right. And, and, and the Joker's theme, just the way it, you know, it's like one note or two notes that gets like louder and louder and more intense and just more unnerving. I mean, it really adds a lot to, to that character and, and his impact. And I think it says something is that you don't really notice it till you've watched the film a few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, not obvious. It's, it's they're not... doing its job fantastically, and that's what a really good score should do. It doesn't overpower. It just adds to. I agree. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, we didn't get to uh, Lucius Fox. Oh, oh, yeah. We should talk about and that. And the, the whole, you know, turning every cell phone into a sonar, oh, like a submarine, or, mm-hmm. uh, rather than like a bat. Um, <laughs> a big moral choice going on there, but Batman's already set it up to give Lucius the power over that, because mm-hmm. he knows it's it's not something he should have. Right. It's like, there's a lot of Batman being pushed to his limit and being tempted to break rules. And I think for Lucius, this is one of them. He was willing to go along with pretty much everything else. I mean, he knew he was Batman. But this was just like, you know, how far do you take something to protect people? Do you take away all their privacy? I mean, this is something that we still talk about and wrestle with today. I think it's another thing that makes the movie feel kind of grounded, even though that's 
so like sci-fi the way that like it looks you know but that whole right to privacy thing is something that's pretty it's on our minds now it's pretty important yeah and the no we've got to find this guy mm-hmm. and it's like no one should have this much power it's like you do yeah <laughs> not and then you know when he puts his name in the whole thing blows up and is gone it's like no we just had to find this guy right it- and that whole scene during the boat thing with him having put the the hostages in the clown costumes and the the bad guys in the doctor costumes and it's like ah oh. you know so Batman ends up having to fight the cops mm-hmm. so they don't kill the hostages right it, you know another thing that I thought speaking of uh, Lucius Fox you know uh, here Batman uh, decided to make this system that can uh you know use cell phones to to track anything in in the vicinity and you know lucius's head of r&d how did he not know (laughs) that that was happening suspension of belief (laughs) yeah don't think too hard about it (laughs) but Uh, it's true actually lucius had already come up with that technology to scope the building in hong kong yeah. Ah. And it just took it and expanded it out to where no, it's hitting every cell phone now. Yeah, yeah, and he also used it to uh, disrupt the power uh, in the building. Correct? Is that correct? Mm. Yeah. Oh, there's all you know. There's a lot of pressure on this episode for me because there are so many podcasts that talk about this movie. I'm just like terrified I'll forget something. So. Well, and this is my first so podcast in this movie. <laughs> there is. We could do like several episodes on it. <laughs> well, and you could have taken and made an entire movie just out of that hostage situation with the boats. Seriously, yeah. Which is just a small part of this movie. Um, so many of these, it's so much packed together in this film, mm-hmm. but doesn't feel crammed, doesn't feel rushed. I mean, it's a long movie, but. Yeah. Oh, can I it's say. It's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, can I say, I'm glad that they kept, even though he's like sort of a minor character, I like that they kept the Scarecrow in this one and in the third one, but I like the way they transitioned him into this movie. Because I just liked... Yeah, very uh, very brief, but he was selling his fear gas. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the guys who dress up as Batman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's you the difference between you and me? I'm not wearing hockey pads. <laughs> yeah. I'm not wearing hockey pads. <laughs> there you go. You got I, it down, Ken. There you go. <laughs> I get a lot of lines from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is, uh, like I said, I've seen it quoted a lot online, but it's like, until someone says it, like the way Batman says it, like you did, Dan, or watching the movie again, you're like, damn, that's a good quote. <laughs> you know? You see a lot of the gadgets pop up, like in that scene especially. Like mm-hmm. he's 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 holding onto the side of a van, and all of a sudden these claws pop out of his arm, and he's ripping. Hole. I mean, you know what I saw that I'm like, what's he trying to do? Get in the van by creating a hole, or but I think, <laughs> and then he just gets smacked against the wall. Mm-hmm. Did you guys remember hearing about so that scene with like the dogs where he like throws a dog that like Peto was upset and they had to be like, we did not hurt any dogs in this scene. Batman doesn't hurt any dogs. It was like <laughs> controversial. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's a Rottweiler that's going to rip his head off. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we don't like the way Rottweilers were portrayed in this movie. <laughs> 
But yeah, it, I just thought that was funny. Is this is this the movie uh, where it's the first time we we see a Batman wanting to turn his head? Yes. Oh, we should have talked about that too. The suit got a lot of upgrades because Christopher Nolan wanted him to have more movement. So like. Number one, Christian Bale is smaller in this movie than he was in Batman Begins. He got really big for that movie. So big, Christopher Nolan told him to lose weight, actually, before they started filming. Um, And in this movie, he's even a little smaller. And it's because the suit is more, like, streamlined. And he... So that he can, like, turn his head and move around and just do more. And he does a lot more in this movie. And um, they built that into the plot. He was like, how do I explain why the suit looks so different? Well, what if he just mentions that in the movie, that he wants these upgrades? And so that made it, like, even more grounded. Yeah, yeah, and of course the the suit moves better. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember Michael Keaton talking about, you know, his suit. (laughs) It's comical now when you go back and watch those older movies. You can (laughs) see him fighting this suit as he's trying to do anything. Uh, I remember hearing a story of the first day... Michelle Pfeiffer showed up on set in her Catwoman costume and he was just laughing. He's like, yeah, now try and act (laughs) inside this thing. I wonder if she squeaked when she walked. (laughs) I know they had to like peel it off of her every day. Like she was was sewn in. She was sewn into. Yeah. Which is like, she's already tiny. Like, can't you make it a little bit bigger so she can move around? That's so crazy to me, but it looked great. (laughs) But they had to unsew it so she could use the restroom. <laughs> oh man, that's so funny. Yeah, it's it's amazing the the way they're able to to make all these upgrades, and they really did go for like more of a motorcycle look in this one. So that kind of you know makes sense why you Dan have that suit that is based on that like motorcycle gear, right? Yeah. Your your suits uh, the re- the UD replicas. Yeah, it's it's yeah. made by a company in Canada. They make a bunch of different motorcycle suits. They do a Superman, a, a few different Batman mm-hmm. uh, suits, but that's my main costume. Yeah, and I mean in this movie, the the suit does look more like more like a motorcycle type suit. Yeah, yeah. You know, in watching the movie again, I was comparing it to mine, and it looks pretty pretty much the same. You know, yeah, there's that much. It's impressive. <laughs> Well, yeah, shout out to Dan. His suit is absolutely amazing. Yeah, we're definitely going to post pictures of that. <laughs> and, uh, well, yeah, I do, I, I do want to take part in uh, Christian Bale's weight loss program, if he has one. Because, <laughs> I mean, you've seen him in The Machinist, right? Yes. Man, I know. I don't know it's how like this guy's like, oh, still alive. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely seems dangerous how, how skinny he was in that movie compared to how big he was in Batman Begins. And from what I've read, the diet he did for the machinist, yeah, it was dangerous. Like, very. Yeah, I heard he, like, passed out sometimes or something like that. Like, it was really bad. Yeah, he was eating, like, nothing. Yeah. I think he was just, like, really dedicated, especially when he was sort of under the radar, you know? Yeah. Um, But he he is very method, and, uh, and, yeah, I mean, it definitely, uh, you can see it in his performance for sure. But I think I, I like the look of the bat suit, you know, not just because he's more mobile, but because I just like how it looks in this one even more. It's probably one of my favorite suits. Can y'all think of anything else you wanted to add? Uh, <laughs> I know it's, it's like a, it's a great, great movie, uh, yeah. just all the way around. And if anyone possibly listening to this has not seen it, definitely see it. If you have seen it, go back 
and watch it again because you will catch stuff every time. Oh, you know what? I have a moral question for y'all. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, I was just going to say that there's so much going on. I mean, um, you know, the, the, they get past one obstacle, then there's another obstacle, then maybe three more obstacles. It, and it, the Joker has a plan throughout the entire movie. It's just uh, well written, very well written. Yeah, the way that the suspense carries throughout and the payoff is just really satisfying. I completely agree. I did have one moral question for you guys. I feel like I already know the answer, both of you being Batman fans. But so, you know, Batman's biggest rule is he doesn't kill. And uh, I think he wrestles with it a little bit in this movie, obviously, because of losing Rachel. And he really questions that choice, like maybe he should have stopped him. But, you know, if, if he does kill him, he becomes him in a way, is, is the, the logic there. What do you guys think? Do you think that that's true? Or do you think he should have just made an exception and just gotten rid of him? It's always the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why doesn't the Batman just kill the Joker? Right. And if you've ever read Dark Knight Returns... I think that I did, but it was like years ago. Uh, in the end, he's he, he's finally ready to do it, mm-hmm. and the the Joker kills himself and takes it from him. It's his last joke on the Batman. Uh, but yeah, it's like how many people have to die before you know you stop this menace? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Batman's the embodiment of justice, though. You know, I, I don't. You know, I, I think he, I, I don't see him as, as one, as a killer at all, mm-hmm. you know, just wanting to see, see everyone get what they deserve, you know, but not, you know, through death. Yeah. That Agreed. Yeah. I, I think it's, you see that evolve because, you know, at first he was ready to shoot Joe Kill. Right. And then no, and. Part of that, you know, Rachel being so upset with him about that is part of that evolution to, okay, no, I'm not going to do that. That's where I'm going to draw a line. Right. Um, okay, well, let's, uh, if you guys are ready, let's go ahead and wrap up to the last couple of questions. What do you think? Got it. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm going to ask both of you my famous last two questions. Number one. Uh, what keeps you coming back to this movie? Why have you seen it so many times? I will start with you, Dan. Um, I hate to admit this, but it's Heath Ledger. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, you know uh, I, maybe the first time I saw the movie, I was more focused on Batman. But it's like as you rewatch it, you just kind of get sucked into the Joker's character. And he, I, Heath Ledger totally makes this movie. You mm-hmm. know, I... I it's, it's definitely one of my favorite movies, and um, uh, I would say that's the primary reason, you know, just because of Heath, Leather, Heath Ledger. Yeah. No, I completely see that. What about you, Michael? Um, uh, Heath, Heath Ledger, of course, is, is huge. His, his performance is fantastic, but there isn't a bad performance in this film. Mm-hmm. And it, it's visually stimulating. It's, it's thought-provoking. Um, it's funny, it's dramatic, there's, and every time you pop it in, it's just, it pulls you right in and you just want to watch this movie. And that's why I have watched it many, many, many times. 
it there's just something there that new to see every time you watch it and it grabs you in and you never go well you know i've seen this i'm kind of bored i think i'll turn it off now you start watching it you watch it to the end and, yep. and there are no slow spots it just keeps keeps you engaged the entire movie i mean and bills the, and bills and bills out of the gate with that you know the clowns in the bank i mean that that sucks you in and it and it just keeps you engaged for sure the entire movie yeah, I mean, I'm just going to echo what you guys said pretty much. I I love movies that are, like, most of my favorite movies are both psychological and visually interesting. And I think this movie has both of those things. And it also has Batman. <laughs> so I just like all three of those aspects of this movie. I'm a big Nolan fan. And I think this is him at his peak. I think that opening scene, I could watch just that opening scene by itself. Um, I just love the way it's shot and the way it builds and the reveal. It just, it just is amazing. I can't say enough about it, but the movie has many great scenes like that. And I love them. I love practical effects as we've talked about a little bit. That's a theme in a lot of the, my favorite movies as well. Um, because I agree with, uh, going a little bit on a tangent, Denis Villeneuve that directed, you know, uh, Blade Runner 2049 and, uh, Sicario, he said that he likes to use real props because actors react differently to something real. So giving them real props and real locations has an impact on their performance. And I think Nolan feels the same way. And I think you really do see that in these movies. You know, they're not just on a big green screen soundstage. They're in Chicago. Um, Chicago is also one of my favorite cities. Uh, so I think that kind of plays into it, too. I like the fact that the first two movies are are in Chicago and I think that's that's a fresh take you know taking it out of usually would be in New York uh, is where Gotham is but I like that it's in Chicago I like the architecture and a very and different look for Gotham mm -hmm. than you've had in any other Batman movie yeah it looks like a real city rather than a set designer's comic book city right and it's still got that gothic nature to it because there's a lot of architecture in Chicago that looks like that. Uh, but but it is more real. And I actually kind of feel like it was a misstep in the third one to have it in Pittsburgh. Um, I don't know. I just feel like you don't get that same. I think Gotham is almost a character in and of itself. And so I think it needs to play a big part in the movie. And I think Chicago is a city that has that look that can do that and that feel. So, so yeah. Um. Why? How would you pitch this movie? Pretend like there's somebody on this earth that hasn't seen this movie or heard of it. How how would you pitch it to them? Like, how would you get somebody to watch this movie? What would your like tagline be? You can go, Michael. How would I? Wow. <laughs> is there is there such a person? Do I we know, have to go right? to Amazon jungles to find them? <laughs> uh, would they know who Batman is? Um, <laughs> well, it just I would probably pitch it for the performances. Mm -hmm. Is that this performance by Heath Ledger as as the Joker is worth the price of admission by mm -hmm. itself? And on top of that, is some of the most spectacular action scenes you'll ever see. Yep. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, you know, it's it's definitely the story uh, for me and the actors, Gary Oldman, um, and it's got Michael Caine in it. <laughs> yeah, my yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right. The cast, you know, Christopher Nolan's a director that really cares about 
the actors in his movie too. Like you can really tell, even though they're very like visual and I, I've heard people describe him as like, uh, his movies is like cold. I don't know if you guys have heard that before. Um, sort of like Ridley Scott. Uh, but it's, I, I kind of disagree with that in the sense that he always picks people that bring really great performances. So I don't really see any of his movies as cold. And I think that that's very important to him. And I think that the, the cast, like you said, is a really big selling point for this film. I, and I think the same thing has been said of Kubrick. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That he's detached and he's cold. And it's like, uh, no, these films are powerful and hit really hard. I don't, I don't see that. Yeah, yeah. I remember one time hearing, like, I heard a podcast where somebody was talking about Batman Begins and how they didn't feel like they related to Bruce Wayne. He didn't seem like a real person. Da, da, da. I'm just like, huh? Did we watch two different movies? I guess it's just one of those things where you really either like that director's style or maybe you don't connect with it, but... Yeah, I, I, I think that you can tell just by the people that he chooses to put in these movies. They're not they're really talented actors that uh, have a lot of range. So, you know, yeah. Um, OK, guys. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. And, uh, you know, we had a couple. Now, our guests won't hear it, but we had a couple of uh, uh, technical difficulties tonight so thanks for being patient as we get through that and come together and talk about this i really enjoyed having both of you on dan thanks for coming on as a newbie you have to come back sometime i hope you had a good time thank you yeah and thank you michael uh you know um at this point you are uh you know a very experienced guest (laughs) had you on a few times so always enjoy having you it's always a blast. I really love doing it. Yeah, me too, guys. Well, thank you so much, and y'all have a good night. Good night. <laughs> Bye. Night. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. I had a great time talking about this movie with Dan and Michael, and happy 10-year anniversary to The Dark Knight. Time flies. Uh, if you guys have feedback on this episode or any others, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay or on Instagram at AYA and as Nancy AMI Lisa. Or in our closed Facebook group, I Love That Movie. The group's closed, but just send a request and I'll add you. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films, judgment-free. My only rule is keep it positive. So if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. If you leave a positive review on iTunes, you'll be automatically entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. Right now we're at 20 reviews and we'll draw again once we get to 30. So please leave one today if you feel like we deserve it. Um, thanks so much again and I look forward to hearing from you.